And the foot rest, is that okay? That's good, yeah. Perfect. Sorry for the, to the, to the pimples on the back. Oh my God, I've been doing this 11 years. Yeah, There's huh? probably nothing you can show me that I haven't seen before. Well, what happens when you run into that? Um, nothing really. Like if they're irritated, I'll just go around them. Have, um, you, have you ever had to stop and be like, uh, is this contagious? No. <laughs> Thankfully. I think because I'm in Valencia, I kind of got the pretentious people. Yeah, they're all clean. But I do know one massage therapist, she used to work at our office. She would pop them before she started. What? Yeah. Ouch. And The pain before the glory. Yeah, I don't know if it was like her way of getting through her fetish. Because I know some people have those like pimple popping things. That yeah, they my sister used to be into that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What about, are there no kind of massage therapist gloves? that have ever been invented that would be still feel like the touch of the hand but be you know a little more sanitary i don't think so there you go that's where you're gonna make the money there you go monster brownie just made us millions of dollars massage massage <laughs> massage gloves <laughs> and that is why he's the king <laughs> Get undressed, get under the sheets Ooh, you're in for a treat No, I promise this is not a dream It's just a happy ending with Joy Eileen Obviously on the table today we have Monster Brawny. Are you good? Yeah, I'm great. Oh, I'm so excited. Already, now, already the best podcast I've ever done. See? That's <laughs> what Sean Polofsky said too. I love Sean. She sang your praises on this table. Yeah, she's she and I were friends for for a long time. And it's funny because when we first met, she told me that, I think it was her that said it, that, you know, at the comedy store, we always bring up the next comedian and we check with the musician the the piano guy to go who's next and they say the name right so she hadn't met she had not met me before didn't know who i was and she said i think i don't know if it was jeff scott back then or not but the whoever the guy was at the keyboard who's next and the guy goes monster brani and she said i thought i heard monster bunny <laughs> <laughs> she thought she's gonna see this big guy show up in a <laughs> bunny suit <laughs> Monster Bunny, the comedian. Monster Bunny. That should be your next special right there. Mm -hmm. Monster Bunny. <laughs> no, but she could not say anything bad about you. Yeah, she's like, great. I love her. Bette Midler came out and did a solo about you. It was amazing. <laughs> that was a great massage. Hilarious. So I know you've had, I've, put you, I've got you on the chair a couple times. Have you had massage before? Yeah, I'm big in a massage. My wife loves massages, and she loves super strong deep tissue massage. Oh, I love your wife. Yeah, and I'm kind of like right there. But I'm not. I don't need it to be as strong as she likes it, but I still love massage. I've always had the first massage I ever had was I was a student in college. It was my freshman year in college, just finished finals, and I thought, you know what, I deserve a massage. So I went and got a massage. And the lady was this lady, I don't know if she, I don't know what she was, but she had this really tight-fitting shirt. Now, I'm, I'm 17 at the time, or 18. Right. She had a tight-fitting shirt, and her breasts are just like mountaintops. And the, it, was, it, was, it was not a sexual massage, but I was young, and I was aroused, and that's the only time I've ever had that happen to me, because I didn't know what to expect. It was the first time, and she was like, at the end of the massage, when you, know, when you flip on your back, she was above my head, with my back, I'm flipped on my back, 
and she would as she would come like down like to my chest and stomach her boobs would keep going on my face uh-huh and i was like what i was like was confused i go is this supposed to be sexual i don't think it is <laughs> and then they say oh, i'm aroused and i'm like oh my god and, and uh it was embarrassing but that was the only time that's ever happened but after that i've i've really just all over the world i've had massages you're searching for her again Where looking for her yeah, yeah no actually it's like it was too much stress. I left more stress than I did. Uh, <laughs> I'd rather just relax. Funny, the other stressful massage I had was I was in Jordan, Amman, Jordan, doing shows. And I don't know if you've ever seen when, like, a soccer player gets hurt or something and the trainer goes out and takes the guy's leg and puts it on his shoulder. When the, You know, the guy's sitting on, with his butt on the grass. Mm-hmm. They'll lift the shoulder, the leg on the shoulder, and they start um, shaking the legs, like, to loosen up the muscles or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so this dude must have been some sort of sport guy, and he definitely was not well-versed on modern-day deep tissue massage, because whole massage, he was taking my legs and, and shaking them. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I'm trying to relax, you keep, and I'm trying to fall asleep, you keep shaking my legs, and he's like, no, no, this is how we do it, this is how we do it. It's terrible. You're like, no, 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 this is not how we do it. Yeah. You're supposed to put your boobs in my face. Boobs in my <laughs> face, please. That happened to me in massage school. This girl, she leaned over me, and one was on each side, like her nipples were earplugs. Yeah. And I started laughing, and then I'm like, me being who I am, I just motorboated her. Yeah. <laughs> My teacher goes, well, now you learned. And she goes, I didn't even realize they were there. And I'm like, I hope That's not. So, so then how did she remedy that? Just like, don't go as, don't bend over as far? Right. I don't even know what she was doing, because... Well, when I do the head, neck, and shoulders when you're face up, I'm sitting. Oh, I see. But I don't ever go down. I mean, I'll do the pecs, but anything lower, like even if I do an abdominal massage, I'm on the side. Yeah, I guess it's just different different reaches, different styles. And like you said, people are probably just trying to get some sort of um, balance to put pressure. I had one girl one time. She was short, and she was putting her feet up on the wall, pushing against the wall, and then pushing against my body. I've done that. Oh my God, that was, I left in pain. I was like, are you crazy? (laughs) I've done that a couple times, because the room that I work in at the chiropractor's office is a tiny little tomb. Mm -hmm. It's my little dungeon, and the wall is so close that I'll just put my foot on it and just press down to get leverage. Now, is that because the person just has firmer muscles that it's harder to penetrate or why do you need to do that it just yeah if there's a certain spot that i really need to get or i need to get the pressure in it to get the blood flow to it or break the fascia and yeah yeah, i'll just take the extra leverage have you had ever uh someone who's so big where you go oh my god i cannot it'd be so hard to penetrate this and the opposite being someone who's so small where you go oh my god i'm gonna break this guy yes I had, I was telling Emily a while ago, I had a, I think she was in her 80s, I don't remember what age she was, she was in her 80s, a tiny little Filipino lady. And her daughter brought her, she couldn't drive, and she's on my table, and she's barely making a dent in the sheets. And I start pressing on her, and she starts yelling at me. Oh my god. You go harder. Oh, she went harder. Oh yeah. And I'm going, I'm going to break you. And at some point, she called me an American pussy. Hilarious. And so I did. I went hard. Yeah. I, I was watching bruises form on her body oh as my, my hand passed it. 
And at the end, I walked out and I told her daughter, I'm like, I just almost killed your mom. Well, she's going to have so many bruises. And she's like, that's fine. That's so funny. She's a tough lady. Oh, my gosh. But then you have these men who get on the table and they're all bodybuilders and just lighter, lighter. Really? So funny. All right. Yeah, you know, I got kids. I got a ten-year-old and a seven-year-old. So once in a while, they say, "Well, you know, can you massage me?" And you're just so kind of sensitive to not wanting to hurt them. But uh, and they're and they're so skinny, like they haven't really developed that many muscles to get into anyway. My wife is pretty good with that. She's really good with massaging them. See, I don't. I'm a bad mom. They're like, "Mom, massage me." I'm like, <laughs> "Pay me and make an a schedule an appointment." <laughs> How old are the kids? I have 7, 12, and 17. Oh, wow. Okay. You have all boys. Oh, my God. Yes. Rambunctious. So, yes. I was yelling at him last night. I'm all, this is why we have nothing nice. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking things. This dog rodeo. I'm all, what, what are you doing right now? Yeah, they're crazy. They're my daughter was showing me some some uh, obstacle course you set up with this pillow that you jump on and then it slides across the wood floor and then you land it. And I go, that's not a good thing. And I told him, I said, remember Russell Peters used to have the joke where he said his father would always say, somebody going to get hurt. Yes. And I said, that's how I felt. That's what I tell them too. Like when they're like, mom, come look at me do this jump. I will tell them I don't watch it. I just fix it when it goes bad. Yeah. Like call me when you're bleeding. I got that part, but I don't want to see it happen. Yeah, it's amazing because they don't think about all the hazards that are around them. Again, we were they were doing this. They were doing a pillow fight on top of our couch, and then <laughs> there's this TV. We just moved into a new place, so the TV is closer to the couch than they were used to, and then there's. Uh, French doors right behind them and I go guys one bad move you're going through the glass you're going into the TV I said I need you to assess the situation before I go go out on the grass and play your pillow fight kind of stared at me I don't know if it worked or not they're like <laughs> why are you no we're having fun exactly grass mm -hmm. <laughs> we'll get itchy <laughs> yeah well I did I was a kid I used to do a lot of stupid stuff I one time tried to use my bicycle to jump off bleachers you know the bleachers they have a baseball game uh -huh. so I did the lower level and all you gotta do is you just pull up the front of the bike when you you get close to the edge and you just kind of pop a wheelie and you go off but then I went one level higher and I tried to do it and I lifted too late and by the time I tried to lift the wheels edge the wheel had already cut the edge of the bench so it started going downwards and I'm holding on to the handlebar so I got nothing to stop my head from hitting first so oh. landed right there knocked out woke up they had to take me to get stitches and the skin inside my eyes <gasps> my, one, one of my eyes yeah oh yeah just a disaster so stupid that was actually going to be my next question is have you broken anything i broke my i think it was my left ankle or was it right ankle i forget which ankle it was but i broke that playing soccer uh, 10 years ago, right when my son was about to be born. Okay. I actually organized the baby shower for my wife. We did a co-ed baby shower, had a great party, ordered a pitcher of sangria, not a pitcher, a, a cooler, a Gatorade cooler of sangria, which not not many people had, so I had to drink a lot of it. So by the end of the, <laughs> back the, the party, I was just loopy and having a great time. And then the next day, I had a soccer game. I was playing in kind of in a men's league and this thing happened i've played soccer my whole life and this was the only time this happened where i had the ball nobody was around me they were all in other parts of the field and i was bringing the ball up and my foot just caught the ball 
and I rolled off the ball, and then I just heard this crack, and then the referee came over. I actually turned into a bit of my stand-up. The referee was this Mexican dude, and he's like, well, it's not broken, it's not broken, and I don't know how he thought it, why he thought it's not broken. He's like, just wiggle it, wiggle it. So I tried wiggling, and a little bit of wiggling was happening, but not a lot. And uh, finally, they uh, we called the paramedics, they showed up, and I, and I don't know if you've had any experience with this before, but they show up and they go, look, we can call an ambulance to take you to the hospital, and no matter what kind of insurance you have, they'll still probably charge you a thousand dollars. Yeah. Because ambulances aren't covered. Or he said, you have your these guys just drive you to Adventist over there in uh, Glendale, because near Glendale. I said, sure. So my buddies drove me over, and the bro- ankle was broken, and it was a month before my wife get, gave birth. So oh. she needed me, and I was just sitting there with my foot up. I felt like felt uh, pretty useless and. And my son was born. I was just getting out of the cast. So the, the day he was born, I was in the hospital with my wife. And we both spent the night in the room. And whenever she wanted to see the baby, I'd hop over on one leg, grab the baby <laughs> like a football, and then hop over to her. <laughs> so if he's at all got any problems, apart from me shaking him, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not shaking the baby, I'm jumping with him. <laughs> you didn't say anything about hopping with the baby. Exactly. When you were talking about the referee, I thought you were gonna say he came over and started shaking my leg. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's Jordanian. This is how we do it. <laughs> you want a massage? So an ankle is that all you've got? That was a, oh that that I broke that and I broke my jaw when I was in college. I went to college at UC Berkeley. Okay. And sometimes these kids would come in from Oakland and they would jump the college students. So I was standing at a bus stop one time midnight and I was new to Berkeley and I and I'd grown up in Marin County, Tiburon, which was very uh, pristine and uh, very uh, affluent uh, city. So I never really I wasn't really a um, uh, city-wise child I wasn't I wasn't street smart and so uh, I was new to Berkeley and I didn't realize that kind of stuff happened and so I went and saw it was a Saturday saw Cal play football and then was taking the bus back to my apartment in Oakland and I was at the bus stop alone at midnight and uh, now knowing the situation I probably would have a friend of mine actually said when you come spend the night in the dorms and I said no I got it so again standing there and then these four guys walk up and one of them walks up to me and he looks at me in the eyes and he goes hey I'm angry can I hit you oh yeah and I I didn't know what I didn't go excuse me because I'm angry can I hit you and I had my hands in my jacket and that's another thing I learned you should keep your hands in your jacket because you could pretend to have a weapon okay but uh I didn't know that so I took my hands out and I put my hands kind of up to go, hey, I go, hey man, I'm, I'm cool, like I'm okay, like I don't wanna fight. And he's like, you're cool, huh? And then he's just staring at me and the next thing I feel my head is going up, he's giving me an uppercut and my head, I felt like I, I was lifted off the ground. It all kind of felt like slow-mo. So I went up and in those few seconds I go, oh shit, I got hit. And I come back down and I was in really good shape because I played soccer. So I just started running and they didn't chase me, I just ran the three miles back to my house Oh my gosh. And I got home and I called my sister and my aunt, who is my sister's age, and I said, hey, this happened. And they go, let us tell mom and dad. They told my parents and they said, oh, take them to the hospital. We'll meet you there. So they came and picked me because they lived up, they lived across the bay from Berkeley. So they picked me up, go to the hospital, and they go, yep, it's broken. So I had to get it wired shut for like six weeks or something. And it was just horrible because one of the things that happens is that your digestion doesn't work quite right and so you, you have to blend everything 
right. and drink it, and then your breath just starts really stinking. So my friends would be making fun of me for bad breath, and um, just, you know, I got through it. I, I didn't drop out of school that, that semester. I stayed in school. It was hard to talk because your mouth was wired shut, so in class when you wanted to talk, you sounded a little, it was hard to kind of make out what you were saying. Right. But I got through it. So it was just part of life, and that's it. And now you got a good story. Well, I'm I got a good you. story, exactly, about breaking bones. Cause, you know, you know when it happened, you're like, ooh, can I get a massage? Yeah, I know, 30, 40 years, 30 years from now, I'm getting a massage. <laughs> you know, it was funny, actually, I didn't know it was broken at first, because when I first came down, like when my head first kind of came back into place, I started running, and I was spitting, and there was no blood. Okay. And I thought, oh my God, I got, I got away, you know, scot-free. But I could feel that it was, uh, something was off. And so, that's it. When I went in and they looked at it, yeah, they broke your, broke your floorboard. Now, your ki- have your kids, have you had to deal with any of broken bones with them yet? My son, I think, has had a couple of ankle issues, like sprained ankles and stuff. You know, they just plays club soccer, but he also just, they're very active. So, when they have friends over, they're jumping on the trampoline and they're doing all kinds of silly stuff. So... I think he sprained his ankle once or twice, maybe in school, just messing around. And then my daughter has not had any broken bones. She did have when she was uh, a baby. There was a thing where I think one of us, somebody was trying to lift her out of the bed with grabbing her by the arm, and the arm came out of the elbow socket. Oh. Yeah, it's like it's called like crib, crib, crib. It's got a name like crib baby or crib, crib elbow or something. So we went to the doctor, and the doctor it was actually pretty, pretty neat. I guess I was in there. My wife said the doctor just kind of distracted the kid, and while the kid was distracted, she just very nicely put it back into place. Nice. And the kid didn't even feel it, and the doctor told my wife, she goes, "That's how you gotta do it. You gotta get them talking or looking in another direction, and it just snaps right in." I go, wow. That's how. There used to be another chiropractor that worked with us, and he would teach me how to adjust his neck and his back. He's like, Joy, come on, come on. And the way he taught me to adjust his neck is I would find a spot that needed to be adjusted, and then I'd get it in place. And then he'd be like, say something insane, which is super easy for me, to distract me. And then while I'm distracted, just snap my neck. Oh, And that's how I learned how to adjust necks. Wow. Yeah. only did it on him because I was terrified. Oh jeez, yeah, you could break somebody's neck. I don't think I was that strong, but... <laughs> you see in the movies, the spies, they just snap it. Yeah. yeah, they make it seem easy. Getting that neck to adjust, that took a lot of pressure, so... Yeah. Those spies had to have some crazy forearm muscles to get that thing to twist. So were you doing massage before stand-up? Yes. And then, so then what made you want to do stand-up? Stand-up was kind of because of this. Like, I would be in the massage room, and we would be cracking up. And then one day, I told John, I was like, you know what? Bucket list. It was around my birthday. The kids were at my parents' house for the week. And he found me an open mic, and I did it. And then I didn't do it again for two years. And then I had a friend while I was massaging him. He The next day, he called me, and he's like, hey, you're in Tom Clark's stand-up class. Oh, wow. Because, you know, we were just having so much fun just going back and forth. And then I took two. I took 101 and 102 with Tom Clark. Mm -hmm. And then I did Flapper's World's Wittiest Woman. And I got second in my night, which was also um, election night when Trump won. Oh, wow. So this is all recent. Yes. 
And then I really didn't do it. And then starting January is when I actually started doing open mics. And of this year? Yeah. Okay. So it's been a crazy journey. And that's how you met Josh as well? Yes. Josh was on the podcast. And I've always said, like, my first Netflix special is going to be me, be me pulling people out of the crowd, massaging them. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I should start a podcast where I massage people. Because there's so many times I'm in the massage room and my knees are going weak because we're laughing and having so much fun. Oh, or people are telling stories that just really need to be shared. Yeah. I'm also that person that's like, why haven't you written a book yet? Right. Write a book. Yeah. Want me to write your book for you? Yeah, I'll write your yeah. book. And um, so it just kind of turned into that. And then I had a friend who kind of got sick of me saying, oh, I should do a massage podcast. And one day he brought me his microphone, got on the table, and he's like, we're recording this. And that's how it started. That's awesome. And then I was terrified to ask people to be on it. So then I met Emily, <laughs> who is not afraid of anything. Great. And she's hilarious as well. And I was like, okay, you're the producer now. And I just kind of... <laughs> put everything off on her. I'm like, you do it now. That's great. So, Emily, are you staying up too? I am. Oh, great. That works out. And she works at the Comedy Store, so I have my ends now. Yeah. It's awesome. Are you the Emily from Comedy Store? Uh, no, I am not. That okay. is, yeah. She does the, uh, the special bookings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, for a second, I was like, wait. So, what do you do at the Comedy Store? Um, I do the cover booth and I run food sometimes. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, are you a non-paid regular? I, I am a I have not showcased her Adam yet. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. That's neat. How long have you been there? I just started in July. Oh, good for you guys. Yay. You guys are babies. Yes. Yeah. How long have you been in it? I've been doing it for 20 years, and I started at the comedy store in 99, so I'll be 20 years at the comedy store next year. Yes, because I graduated in 99, and my 20-year reunion is next year. There you go. There you go. Yay. You guys are high school in 99. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, I just graduated 89. I'm feeling old. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm feeling, yeah. Well, at least you don't turn 37 and have your middle son ask you if this is the year you start carrying hard candy around in your purse. Hard candy? What does that mean? Because I guess old people carry hard oh, candy. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. He's well, he's got a sense of humor. Oh, he's a dick, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he also likes to call me Oldie Hans, which is not funny. Well, at least he knows, he knows who Goldie Hawn is now. You know what? I told him that, too. I go, you're 12. You don't know who Goldie Hawn is. And he goes, I heard it on The Simpsons, and it sounded mean. Hilarious. You're just a jerk. All right. That's good to know I have one of those. I think he's a smart kid. <laughs> now, which one do you see any of your kids following in your footsteps? I don't know. You know, they both have their own interest but at the same time i think that they do look up to what i do i've seen like they love to watch you know they love to come to my performances they love to come hang out with other comics they like being funny so you never know my daughter was taking piano lessons she doesn't have the best work ethic i mean what kid does right but um she's got the skills for it she definitely has she was she did some really good playing and she loves to dance she loves to put dance routines together i've seen yeah. i've seen your instagram there you go and then my son um i think he kind of i won't say worships me but i think he really would want to be something like that just because of me but i just encourage them i go find what you love to do yes don't do it for me you know yes so i come from an immigrant background and those my parents did not encourage me to 
find what I loved. They just were like, you should be have a respectful, respectable occupation: lawyer, doctor, engineer. That's it. Those are the big three. Yeah, so they don't. You know, that's what immigrant parents know. I think America is very different uh, in that they really you're you're, you're encouraged to find your dream and go after it. Right. You know, but a lot of other cultures, I think, really believe that they just want what's best for their kid, and I think that they feel what's best is a good paying job, and what are those jobs? Well, a lawyer and doctor, you know, those are the main ones. The engineers are a close third. But none of those interested me. Right. Well, see, I was kind of the opposite. Like, I went to school for physical therapy. I wanted to be a physical therapist, and that was what I was going to do. And then later on, even though I'm a huge biology nerd and I love any science-based anything, I wouldn't have been happy doing it. Yeah. But I wanted to be so successful and I wanted people to be so proud of me that I just kept sticking with it, kept sticking with it. And then now, you know, I started comedy super late. I started writing books super late. Like everything came so late to me that I'm trying to encourage my kids. Like you, like you said, find something that you're passionate about because you're going to try and people please people and you're not going to please yourself. Yeah, that was the thing I had to realize too, that it was a light bulb moment where I go, wait a minute, this is my life it's not my mom's life it's not my dad's life there's no you know i can't live to please them right so you do you literally you have one life and that's it and there's so there's no in your head going oh maybe one day i get to it no get to it now yes yeah that that's exactly great. what i say i'm like whether you believe in reincarnation or whatever you believe in you're only going to be joy this one life whether yeah. you're somebody else next like this is joy's life leave yeah. the best of it What's your sign? I wonder if I have something to do with our signs. I'm Cancer. Sign? Okay, I'm Pisces, so it has nothing to do with our signs. Cancer is which one? It's June, right? It's July. Right, late June, early July. Yeah. Because my son is June 26th, I think he's a Cancer too. Super moody, yeah. <laughs> very passionate, very loyal, ridiculously loyal. Like, you're nice to me, and do anything. I'm like, what do you want? What do you need? I wonder if there's any signs where they're like, you're, you're just a dick. <laughs> I wonder that too, because if you think about it, like Harry Potter, you know, like Slytherin, you're gonna get a bunch of dicks. Like yeah. Hufflepuff, you know. Yeah. I just went super nerd, but. My my second sister's a Taurus, and she's kind of a dick. So. I wonder if that's what that's part Maybe of. Maybe that's. I don't know. The Taurus are the dicks. We just. Taurus is what Taurus <laughs> is. Uh, my wife is Taurus, I think. Isn't that like May? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. John's a Taurus. Is it? Uh huh. John was born Cinco de Mayo. Maybe it's just my sister. Though. Yeah, my wife is May fourth, <laughs> the day before your, your husband. May fourth. She's Star Wars Day. Yeah, that's right. May the fourth be with you. What made you decide comedy? Like, what was it like? Did you have like an extreme light bulb moment? Yeah. So I was I I came to America. I was seven. I was six years old. Okay. When I came from Iran, this was late '78, and there was a revolution happening in Iran. So the revolution happened in '79. And we had come to America. My dad was on business in America, and he told my mom to bring my sister and I to New York to just spend a couple of weeks with him on our winter break, and in the hopes that things would cool down back in Iran and we could go back. Okay. I think a lot of Iranians felt that the revolution was not going to be successful. They thought that the Shah, who was the leader, would squash it. And so we came to America, and it just the revolution kept getting worse and worse. And then by the time... Um, 
there was time to go back, it was just not, you know, we couldn't go back. So we ended up, uh, I always say we packed for two weeks and we stayed for 40 years. <laughs> you know, and that's just, that's a pretty common story, just people getting out of there. And the, the reason we had to leave was because my father was a businessman who had been successful under the Shah. And he had friends who were pretty prominent people, whether they were, the, you know, the chief of police or people in the military. And so there was this kind of... Um, there was this uh, mood coming out of the revolution and, and they were going after people who had been successful, definitely people who had ties to the government, so they were executing uh, military leaders and other politicians, but it was just too risky, even though my father was not actually an official, it was too risky for him to stay there. So we came here and we were one of the lucky ones. My dad was able to get a lot of his money out coming out. Right. And so when we first came, I was staying at the Plaza Hotel in New York, across from FAO Schwartz, which was the biggest toy store in the world. Nice. And just eating ice cream sundaes and going, oh, this is great. America's fantastic. <laughs> America rocks. Yeah. And then my father eventually, uh, because of bad real estate investments, lost all of his money. Um, but in the process, we moved to Northern California, and while I was there, uh, it must have been like nine or ten or something when I first saw Eddie Murphy, and I just loved him on Saturday Night Live. Uh, before his special Delirious, he had one called, I think it was just called Eddie Murphy Comedian, it was a tape. Okay. We used to sit around with my buddies and listen to it, so I just wanted to be like him suddenly. And he was my hero, and uh, everything he did, like even the, even the moment... In, uh, in 48 Hours, the movie, when Nick Nolte first goes to the jail to pick him up, to pick up Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy's got his headphones on with sunglasses and he's messing up Roxanne by the police. And it's just, just had me falling out of my chair laughing. So, I want to be like Eddie. Okay. Started doing plays in junior high school, musicals. Uh, the director told me that I'm good at it. One day, I just I just realized this recently, one day it was during rehearsals and I was sick and the teacher, the, the director had said, her name was Shirley Bonbright, she said, uh, when you're singing in a musical, you always got to be smiling. So I'm at rehearsals, I'm one of the backup dancers, singers in the, in the musical called The Boyfriend and uh, I'm singing and dancing, smile on my face even though I got a cold and so Shirley Bonbright stops the whole rehearsal. Everybody stop, stop. Look at him. You see him? He's up there smiling. And he's sick. You should all learn from him. Aww. So it was a moment where it was, you know, an affirmation and, and I think made me feel good. And so I said, okay, this is, maybe I'm good at this. So stuck with it, did some more and got the lead the next year and went to high school. We had a really good theater department. And in that process, the, the teacher there was telling me, Michelle Swanson was her name. She said, you could do this for a living. You're really good. And so people just kept telling me I was good at it. And then, of course, when I told my immigrant parents, they laughed in my face. Of course, yeah. You know, you're going to be a lawyer or a doctor or something. So I went to UC Berkeley, studied political science. I was going to be a lawyer. And then my junior year in, in college, I decided to study abroad. I went to Italy, and um, uh, there was a professor there. I loved what he was doing, so I said, maybe I'll just be a professor. Came back to America, got into UCLA for a PhD program. And then while I was there, I started doing plays at UCLA, and I just realized I loved being on stage, and I hated being in class talking about political science. So I dropped out, and I just started doing plays on the side for fun. And it wasn't until I was in my mid-twenties when I was in this advertising agency. I got a day job at an ad agency as an assistant. Okay. And I was doing a, a, a comedy, and there was an older guy at the agency. His name was Joe Ryan, and he saw me uh, dubbing 
the play uh, from one videotape to another videotape in the agency and he goes hey you're, you're, you're funny have you thought about doing this professionally and I go listen I'm thinking of saving up money and going after it when I'm 30 and he goes let me talk to you for a second he goes look I'm in my 60s he goes, when I was in my 20s, there was a lot I wanted to do, and I just never got around to doing it. He goes, really, really want to do it, you got to do it. So it was a light bulb moment, and I actually did kind of similar to you. I enrolled in a sketch comedy class at the Acme Theater improv class. Okay. And while I was there, I met Judy Carter, who taught a stand-up comedy class, took her class, and really the most important lesson I learned from that class was you need to get on stage as much as you can and write as much as you can. Yes. And so I just set off, and I just started doing, you know, first two spots, then three, then four, then five, then whatever it took per week, wherever I had to go, I'd go, and um, I just stuck to it for 20 years, and here we are. That's awesome. That's crazy, though. But it's different without kids, because everybody says that, too, and to the point where I almost went, like, maybe I should stop pursuing it because I can't get out here one I'm like 30 40 minutes away unless an hour and a half away when somebody decides to crash and it takes a while to get here and then the kids so there's a point where I'm only doing maybe one two open mics a week yeah so I feel bad like I'm trying to pay my dues it's just harder for me yeah, listen, life gets in the way, and that's really something that's hard. I mean, you've heard of these success stories. I don't know if Roseanne had kids or not, but you hear of people who have kids and they do it. And it is really hard because I have kids, and I know that one of the things I try to do now, because I tour a lot, but I want to be home as much as I can. So when I tour, if I've got a show that Friday and I can fly in Friday, I'll fly in Friday, and I'll fly out on the first flight back on Sunday. Nice. So the idea being I want to be home as much as I can. And so that goes for you in terms of doing open mics. You want to be able to help, you know, put the kids to sleep and uh, cuddle with them and feed them or whatever else you got to do, especially the young one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, if, then if, like, if there's open mics near you, then that works. But if, like you said, if you got to drive an hour, drive back an hour, and then by the time you're home, it's midnight or one, you got to be up early the next day. Yeah, it gets, it gets really tedious and hard. But really, there's no other way to get good than to do it. I, I've had a lot of people will hit me up and say, hey, I want to I wanna do stand-up, and can I get on your show? And, and I go, well, no, you should go get get it, get up, get up at the comedy store at 1 in the morning. Yeah. And, yes. I go, and I go, no, no, I want to I get on your show. And I go, no, no, you don't understand. My show is going to have a warm audience who's there and excited to see the show. Mm-hmm. You're not going to grow. You need to get up where they don't know who you are, they're exhausted, you're tired, and you just get up and you start talking from the heart and talk about stuff that's on your mind. Yes. And suddenly that's what turns into material. You know, when I first started, I did a lot of bringer shows and uh, I had a pretty good uh, draw because I just had, I had my day job folks, I had friends, family, relatives, and I got pretty good at promoting those bringer shows. And then once I became a regular at the comedy store, I didn't have to be, I didn't have to do bringer anymore. I just showed up. And I remember one night I was just doing my act, it was early, and I wasn't paying attention to the audience, I was just kind of doing the act. And then the act after me went up and he did this kind of crowd work, but it was already, it was set material, but it was crowd work as well. Okay. And the crowd was so much more receptive, because he was acknowledging them. Yes. So that was a moment where I go, oh, okay, I can't just get up there and 
ignore these people just start doing my act I gotta talk to them and then another night there was a guy named Freddy Soto Freddy Soto was one of the funniest guys he was uh, this Mexican American and he was getting ready to just hit and unfortunately he passed away I think about 10 years ago maybe but when I first started Freddy was a great comedian there I remember I got up one night it was you know what what would happen is Mitzi would give you Mitzi Shore the owner of the club would give you um let's say a midnight spot and that's when people are really dirty and yeah. I wasn't dirty at all but she just kept putting me there and then you'd be you'd be ready to go up at midnight and then Eddie Griffin or Andrew Dice Clay or Paul Mooney somebody would come in and go I'm, I'm gonna go up and they go up and do an hour now uh-huh. it's one and then you're getting ready to go up and then someone else comes up and so one of those times it was probably like 130 145 there weren't that many people in the audience. Really, it was this. It was this. Uh, these two nerdy guys and this really beautiful girl. And I remember I started doing my act, and I didn't know Freddie was sitting in the back because he was. It was the end of the night. Just sitting in the back watching. I started doing my act and wasn't really getting much response. And then I just was curious. I was like, "What's going on here? How did you two nerdy dudes end up with this hot girl?" So I just started talking to them, and it became this whole thing, and I was riffing off of it, and they were laughing, I was laughing, we had a good time, and I came off stage, and then Freddie happened to be sitting in the back, he goes, hey man, I watched that, he goes, you know, you're funny, I go, thanks, he goes, you know, what you did was show right now that you can adapt, and you're funny, and he goes, it's not about bits, if, if, if you only are funny because of your bits, then you're not funny, you're either funny or you're not funny, meaning, you're either a funny person or you're not, you know, it's beyond the bits, it's about being that funny person, and that's what I'm saying when you get up in that situation where it's late and you're tired and you don't care and suddenly your material you, you can't go up and go oh whatever uh don't you hit it with toothpastes blah 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 right you right. go up and you just say what the hell are we doing here like why are you guys here like i am a mom of three kids i'm a masseuse i make a living i shouldn't be here. like you know once you get into that world uh-huh. where it's almost therapy and, and your attitude's coming out with it mm-hmm. i swear you start growing so much you start finding material that's funny because yeah. i kind of had one of those moments last last week because my brother I, it's just him and I I'm six years older than him my parents own their own business so I basically raised this little man and he's 31 and his girlfriend got pregnant and I was so excited because I was like oh I'm pregnant I'm having babies <laughs> John's right. like, you gotta stop telling people that I'm all I look like it so it's fine yeah. but um and then my brother called me and he told me there was twins and then later that week he told me that they lost them both Oh. And I was devastated. Wow. Like, I was at the comedy store just bawling to Emily. And then I was like, you know what, though? Fuck those babies. Those babies are quitter babies. And I just went on this crazy <laughs> rant. <laughs> and I did it on stage the other night. It was just basically my rant, maybe, you know, polished a little. Yeah. And that was the best response I've ever had. Yeah, exactly. Because you go into a place of sincerity and you you know and, and in this case you're just trying to find comedy to get you through this despair you yes know? and so yeah i think i think the more honest you are the more the audience feels it i've done bits before where i'll never be able to do it again because it was just particular that moment with that that comedian i mean that that, that audience it's hard to go oh what if we were all in here and there was a drunk girl talking to me and her brother was a sailor and da 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 Right. But that night, it became huge because I just, I just, it's like riding, it's like, it's surfing. You're riding the wave and sometimes the wave comes in a very different way than you anticipated. Right. It turns you sideways and you've either got to go or fall. Yeah, you got to go. So if you ignore it, if someone's 
let's say, you know, saying something out loud and you totally ignore it, then the audience is hearing it, you're hearing it, you're pretending not to hear it, but they can't pretend not to hear it, so you miss out on an opportunity. True. You know, one of the times when I also realized that you just gotta talk, I had all these subjects I kept putting down on my notebook. I'm gonna do a bit about this, I'm gonna do a bit about that, a bit about that. And all this stuff lined up, I just hadn't been working on it. And there was an open mic at some place on, on Melrose, and I went to do it, and the guy running it, it was him, his buddy, and another guy. There was three people in the audience, and then we were just all comedians, and we were getting up. So then I went back the next time, and it was the same three guys again. No one showed up. So I started doing my act, and then I go, guys, why am I doing my act? You heard my act. Right. And I said, let me see what I got on my notepad. And then I just started taking that and just riffing. And it's actually a good exercise to do with other comics or at an open mic. Just take the subject, riff on it, and see if you can write on stage. Right, see if you can find a rhythm. Yeah, that's yeah. a good idea. Find the story, go for it. You know, maybe they can even tag it for you, you know. Did you find when you first uh, started that you get booked on shows um, that were kind of, it was more like ethnic shows or things like that? Like I remember listening to Al Madrigal talk about um, when he went to do HBO, he didn't realize that he was doing HBO Latino. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so, and did, did that, stuff like that happen? You know, not as much. I just was, like I said, I think what I had going for me was that I had this really, I was really good at getting people to come out. I saw, I saw in a seminar Tommy Davidson speak. It was, they had just comedians at the, at, 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 I guess it was after at the time. I'm not flipping over. Okay, it was one of those uh, free seminars where you go and talk, and we listen to comedians talk about stuff. And so Tommy Davidson was there talking about when he first came to L.A. And he said, when I first came to L.A., he goes, I went to, to I did some club or something. And he says, I, uh, he goes, oh, yeah. He goes, I, I did a show, it really well. And he goes, after the show, I got people's email addresses, or ma no, mailing addresses, it wasn't email, mailing addresses. And he goes, so then the next time, I, I guess he'd been living in D.C. or something. So he goes, the next time I came to L.A. to do a show, I sent out flyers or postcards, and uh, people showed up. So I kind of took that advice, and I started accruing, you know, this is now late 90s, early 2000. I started accruing mailing lists, mailing addresses, as well as email lists. But I would do once a month, I would take the shows for that month, I'd put it on a stickery thing, I'd print it out, and then I would get these flyers and I would stick the shows, upcoming shows, on the back of these little postcards with a picture on it. And then I would, then I had address labels, I would take the address labels, put them on, I would take stamps, I'd put them on, sometimes I'd be up to like, two, three in the morning just putting stamps on these things. And then I'd mail, you you know, you could mail like four or five hundred of those. You would basically take it to this place that was a, it was the breakdown services. You'd take the breakdown services and they would, they would distribute it to um, all the casting directors and agents and stuff. And then I would also, like I said, the ones that I put post, you know, post, you know, stamps on, I would mail those to right. my fan base. So when I would do shows, if it was a bringer show, whereas other comics were bringing two people, I'd bring five people, I'd bring six people, sometimes I'd bring ten people. So I think that started getting me booked on all kinds of shows. It wasn't, and back then, by the way, when I first started, there really was no quote-unquote Middle Eastern show, because yeah. there was not that many of us, like, <laughs> there was me and Ahmed Ahmed, and I didn't even, you know, Ahmed Ahmed, I, I met Ahmed at some point, 
but I didn't know he was doing it. And then and then I was doing a show at the Ha Ha Cafe, and some and I listened, and Aaron Cater was up, and they go, yeah, he's half Palestinian, half Mormon. I go, okay. So <laughs> there really wasn't that many of us. So there was not ethnic shows for me to be on. The, the most ethnic of shows that I was doing was the, the Latino dudes in L.A. all had rooms in east of downtown, so Rosemead and those places. So I would show up there. And I've been in the movie Friday After Next, which was the Ice Cube's third installment of the Friday movies. Uh-huh. And that did well in the black and Latino community. So when I would go do the Latino shows, Latinos would know me from that. And they'd be like, hey, what's up? It's Molly from Friday After Next. So <laughs> I was doing different ethnic stuff, but for the most part, I was pretty just standard, open mic, didn't matter where I was going. It wasn't until Mitzi, actually, Mitzi Shore, in some 2000, Mitzi, who's Jewish, was watching CNN. And there was the latest uprising with the Palestinians and the Israelis. And so there was all this conflict again. And Mitzi says, I think there's going to be a need for a positive voice for Muslims in the near future. And this was in 2000, before September 11th. So Mitzi had been notorious for doing that. She put theme shows together like Black Night, Latino Night, Ladies Night. So she wanted to do a Middle Eastern night and call it Arabian Nights. So she's the one, yeah, she's the one who then... I got a call from Duncan Trussell, who was the booker back then. He goes, he goes, do you know any other Middle Eastern or Muslim comedians? I go, well, there's this guy, Aaron Cater. He's half Palestinian. I go, he probably qualifies. He goes, sure. And then Mitzi had seen Mitzi. Yeah, and, and I was the only regular at the comedy store that was of Middle Eastern descent back then. Mitzi had seen Ahmed perform on one of these uh, nights that was promoted by an outside promoter. So she's like, I got, I got an Egyptian. I got you, the Persian dude. I've got this half-Palestinian guy. Now, Sam Tripoli had been trying to get into the comedy store. He'd showcased for her, and she had said no. Okay. But when this happened, I was friends with Sam, and Duncan was friends with Sam. And I told Duncan, I said, Duncan, what about Sam? His last name is Tripoli. I go, that's the capital of Libya. I go, maybe he's Libyan. So I call, we call up Sam. We go, what's your deal? He goes, well, I'm half Armenian. And so we go, that's got to work. So we call him. <laughs> so then it's Duncan, close enough. Yeah, exactly. Duncan <laughs> came back and goes, yeah, she likes it. You're on. So suddenly because of being half Armenian, he became a regular. And then our show really had anyone who was brown that was not uh, Latino or African American was on our show. So we had an Indian dude. We had, we had this girl who was white, but she would, was going to like, belly dance or something yeah so it was this wacky show and then the whole time i'm thinking who's gonna come see this show like <laughs> people really and again this is before september 11. what we ended up doing was we ended up reaching out to the student groups at ucla and usc we said let's find the persian student group arab student group muslim student group indian Muslim, whatever whatever we can find let them know there's this comedy show and let's get a guest list people can just come okay. so i think the first time we did a Arabian Night Show. My, I th- I'm pretty sure it was the first time. It was in the main room at the comedy store, and I think we comped like 150 tickets or something. Half the room was comped. Nice. But it ended up being packed, and, and it went well. And then, then the problem was, well, if we do it again, will we have enough new material the next time we do it? But that's that's the first time we started doing it. And then the problem is, Iranians are not Arabs. Mm-hmm. So it would be like doing a, a show with a Portuguese dude, a Spanish dude, a yeah. you know, Brazilian mm-hmm. dude and calling it Spanish nights and the Portuguese and the Brazilian go, well, we're They're not like, Spanish. <laughs> so Iranians were kept saying that and then so eventually that's what we turned into, me, Aaron and Ahmed turned into the Access of Evil comedy tour. Yeah. Okay. Which made fun of the George Bush speech where he said there's an Access of Evil. <laughs> yeah. And by then we narrowed it down to me, Ahmed and Aaron because we were the more 
Middle Eastern than the other guys. You know, they just and also our material felt worked better with that audience than right. some of the other guys. So yeah, so I wasn't I, I, I really was not in that realm until Mitzi started it and um and to this day, like if there's like a you know, then there was like, you know, then you have like, you know, the Axiva, the Sultans of this, then da, 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 you know, at a certain point you go, you know, it's uh, it, it, when it's a show with two, everyone from that background is too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I prefer to have even if I do a show where I have like a handful of Middle Eastern comics, I try to get like I'll try to get you know a, a black guy or a white girl or a, even an Indian guy who's different from Middle Easterners. You know, it's like mm-hmm. just put a little flavor in the middle. Otherwise, you end up at the end of the night and a lot of the some, not a lot but some of the jokes cross over. But the good news is now there's a lot more of the, those people from that background. Right. And they all come from different points of view. I mean, you know, one is younger, one's older, one's got a girlfriend, one's upset about whatever, you know? Right. That's funny. I have a lieutenant in the LAPD. I've been massaging him forever. And I told him that I was massaging you. And he was like, he's Persian. Oh, there you go. And he's like, can I teach you Farsi? Well, I don't, but he's, I don't trust him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cuss words. I, I, well, I don't even know if it'd be cuss words. It would just probably be something very derogatory or uh, just something like, hey, Maz, you want to see my butthole? Or just, I just right. don't trust him. Right. But he's like, let me, let me. And, I'm, and then he asked me if he could come. I'm like, yeah, because that's not odd. Uh, having a cop here. Yeah, and he's <laughs> almost seven foot. He hangs off of my table when oh, I get nice. him on my table. Wow. He also can't stand the pressure, so he's purposely late for his appointments. Oh, He'll make his one-hour appointment and then show up 15 minutes late with the Starbucks. And he's like, here, I brought you Starbucks. That's so funny. And I'm like, you were late on purpose? Yeah, yeah, okay. you hurt me. But it's funny when I told people they, I had a lot of fan girls that were seven foot men, fan girl over <laughs> oh, here. That's funny. Well, you know, um, so within, so because there were no other comedians from this background, once I think the community discovered me, like they, they were really into it. So it was yeah. a big deal for them. And for me, I just wanted to be Eddie Murphy. I just wanted to be funny. Right. But I think some people in the community really latched on. And then sometimes I get people that, would want me to speak about specific things and I go, well, I'm not a spokesperson, I'm just my own spokesperson, you know. <laughs> me. Yeah, and I hope to have similar, you know, I hope to be supportive of the community, I hope to be, you know, especially nowadays with the anti-immigrant sentiment that's out there. Right. Matter of fact, actually at a certain point I, I realized that, that I have a lot in common, not just with just Persians, but with immigrants from all backgrounds. And that's why I started talking about not just being I used to say my Iranian mom this, my Iranian dad that, and then I was doing a joke about how my Iranian grandmother kept all of her cash in her bra, <laughs> and how we thought she was a teacup, so one day we went to buy a house and she pulls the down payment out of her bra, <laughs> and we realize she's an A cup, and then we look closer and we realize she's grandpa. <laughs> so that's the joke and I was doing that joke and there was a couple of girls Latina I think there must have been Mexican girls in the audience in the laugh factory they were just dying of laughter and I go oh my god Mexican grandmothers do that too yeah I was going to say my mother-in-law yeah. I was going to say white grandmas do it too because yeah. my grandma was insane <laughs> don't yeah. trust banks exactly okay. exactly that's the whole point and so that's just you realize, first of all, it's an immigrant thing, then you realize it's an old school thing, too. Uh-huh. So the more you talk about yourself specifically, the more you realize people have, people will see themselves in you. Mm-hmm. No matter what that thing is, you might sit there and go, oh my God, I'm the only person who, whatever, uh, has a, uh, you know, uh, 
one arm is one collar, the other arm is another collar. Mm -hmm. People will relate. Like they might not have a the same exact issue, but they're gonna have some issue, and that's why I think like that's why guys like Richard Pryor are so great because he gets up there and talks about his faults and his mistakes, and it makes us feel as an audience we go, oh my God, just you know what I did last night is not as bad as I thought. Right, yeah, right. You know. See, I had that happen, and it was, you're right, it was something very stupid. It was when it was raining last year, or no, it's anytime it rains. I freak out if my windshield wipers are faster than other people's because I don't want people to think I'm panicking in my car. So I turn <laughs> my windshield wipers off when I pass people because I don't want them to think I'm panicking because for some reason my windshield wipers are always faster than everyone's. And I'm like, what? I'm not, I'm fine. And, um, I saw something on Facebook and it was like a meme and it basically said the same thing. Like, I panic when my windshield wipers are faster than other people's. There you have it. And I go, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one. Yeah, you feel like the other, you're being judged for your windshield wipers. I do. Yeah. <laughs> that must be a California thing because you're not used to it raining. No, I just don't want people. I just wish mine went the same speed as everyone. I want to. Well, they have, just, they have speed. Yeah, but that's. It doesn't. It, they don't match. But that's just, that's your. You have deeper issues. <laughs> <that's going laughs> up there. So many deeper issues. Deeper issues like why? Like you, it's your people please, people pleaser. You oh, want mm -hmm. you want to please people so much that if you logically think about it, they're in their car worried about their windshield wipers because they're just trying to see the road. They're not looking at you going, oh my God, look at how fast her windshield uh -huh. <laughs> I know. She must have an inferior car. Right. You know, she, she must be in a rush. She's probably very anxious. You know, they're, they're not judging. They're not even caring about you. They're probably not even looking. But in my head, they're all staring at me. Yeah, it's not that, it's not that probably not looking. They're not looking. <laughs> so that's what you got to realize. It's like my son the other day got a haircut. I liked it a lot. It, it, it was just a little different from before. And he's like, I don't like it. People are going to say things. I go, Dara, nobody is going to even notice or care. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. A lot of our issues are we call it out we are worried about it so that's just such a silly one and that you're in your car your windshield wipers are going fast and you're not worried about oh this might blow the battery or this no. might this might ruin the windshield wiper or what or, or oh wow i'm seeing clearly mm -mm. you'd rather not see mm -hmm. and not be judged by the random person who might be in this torrential rain looking to the side looking at your car going oh look at that bitch her windshield wipers are going way too fast uh -huh. like, yeah. What is wrong with her? Yeah, it's sprinkling. Then that person's got issues. Like that person is judgmental. So they're probably in the car. Going, I hope this girl that I'm looking at her windshield wiper doesn't think I'm judgmental. Like, you know, or maybe there's someone who's got slower windshield wipers and they're, they're like, yeah. they're very inferior. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. There's. I have a lot of those. I like. I'll sing in my car until I get to a stoplight, and then I won't, and then I'll look down. <laughs> yeah. I unfortunately do not have that off button. <laughs> what was your favorite musical to be in? Well, I was, I was Little Abner in Little Abner, so I still have this DVD of it somewhere. <laughs> Emily and just came. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're you a musical person? I did musicals before comedy. Oh, well, there you go. So it was, uh, it was really cool. And that was actually one of those things where doing, doing theater as a kid, you got to play everything, right? You got mm -hmm. to play Little Abner. We did, um, we had a thing in our senior year where students would write and compose and 
do an original piece. So somebody did a Batman the musical. Mm. Oh yeah. And, and I played Batman. It was actually the story was more about Robin, but I played Batman and and so I get to play all these great characters. And then that was one of the things that, that turned me on about being an actor. I said I get to play all these I get to be all these different things. And then of course when I first came to LA Eventually, when they find out that you're Iranian, then you start going on auditions for terrorist parts. Yeah. Mm. And so that was kind of a bummer because I was going, wait a minute, I thought I was going to get a chance to play all these things, and now I'm starting to get pigeonholed. And I did a couple of those, and then I quickly told my agents, I don't want to do any more uh, terrorist parts. I didn't mind continuing to go out for, you know, like falafel shop owner or whatever that is. I didn't mind playing ethnic characters, but I just didn't want to play the terrorist parts. But yeah, but I never would have gotten a chance to play Little Abner again, unfortunately. Right. That's the thing that I love about theater is that it feels like there's less barriers. Absolutely. Well, you know, one of the things you got to realize is when you come to L.A., that person exists. The guy who's going to be Batman. First of all, first of all, it's a business. So mm-hmm. yes, they're going to want to put Matthew McConaughey or somebody who they feel is going to have a the draw. Numbers. Right. So that's now number one. Number two, if they say, "Oh, we, we want to cast." Um, just not a not a star. We want to we want to find somebody. Well, when it's written, when Batman is written, as much as we want to say, well, Batman can be black, he can be white, he can be Latino, he can be a million things. As a matter of fact, Magnum PI is just coming back on CBS, and I think the guy playing it is a Latino dude. Mm-hmm. That's okay. great, right? So it's the modern day Magnum PI. He doesn't have to be a white dude. He can be whatever. So that's that's good, but. But with that said, you know, nine times out of ten, when you have certain parts written and it says, you know, the white guy comes in the room and he's six foot two and he's got blonde hair and blah, blah, blah. That guy exists in L.A. and he's probably a good actor. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's the, that's the difference. Because when you're doing those plays, unless if you're on Broadway, which again, those people probably will exist. But when you're doing a play, especially in school or local or something, it's hard to find the right person for that. So yeah. you will end up playing that part. I played... When I was at UCLA in the PhD program, I did a play. At the time, I was, what, 21, 22? And I did a play where I was playing this guy's dad, and the guy playing the dad, he was a grown man in the show. He was playing like a 20-some-odd-year-old guy. That guy was probably like 18 or 19 or something. Mm-hmm. When I was 22, I was playing his dad. Why? Because there, was, there wasn't a 50, 60-year-old to play his dad. I had to play the dad. Right. So that's what you run into, and you just gotta accept that, and then and then you just gotta go. You know, the good news is, not especially nowadays, they're trying to do colorblind casting. So once in a while, I do get that audition for the guy who's just a guy, and I go, "That's great. Let me go see if I can get this." You know, and, and that's all you can hope for. All right. Well, is there anything you want to plug? I mean, you're so big. Like, I'd like to plug that uh, my body is uh, available to be massaged in any. <laughs> no. I will take it. Uh, um, no, you know, it's just people if they uh, if if they want to find me, I'm on I'm at Maz Jobrani, M A Z J O B R A N I on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and constantly touring. So they can go to mazjobrani.com for that, and that's it. All right, how do you feel? I feel great. Good. I feel great. Oh, my Netflix special, Immigrant. Watch Immigrants. Speaking of immigrants. Yes. Yes. Um, this is great. I really, uh, that was, you know, I usually sleep through my massages. Haha, <laughs> not these. But, uh, but it was actually, uh, 
if, if, if there's ever a topic to talk about, comedy is great. And one time I was doing a massage and the lady was a Russian lady. And I, she, she just was like going, she was going through some bad stuff. And I ended up being her therapist. <laughs> it was the most stressful massage because she's like, oh, you don't even know today. Uh, my daughter, she's in big trouble and they, we're getting evicted. And the neighbor's kid trying to commit suicide. It was like one on top of the Whoa. next. And I'm like, well, I just came here to nap for an hour, man. And you're like, hey, hold on. Yeah. Funny. So this is a much better conversation than that one. I, I'm glad. I'm glad. No neighbor kids commit suicide in this Ugh. filming. All right. Well, thank you. <laughs>